0: Mac Observer's Mac Geek uh, number 362 for Monday. Yes, we're doing this on Monday, November 7th, 2011. Mm-hmm. to the Mac Observers, Mac Geekcab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. Together, we all work to learn a little bit of something about the Mac and other Apple products here in Durham, New Hampshire. Finally, I'm Dave Hamilton,
1: and you know I'm glad to. Oh, well, first off, yes, here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. But, you know, I got to reflect on one thing, Dave. I'm so glad that you know the the show has matured, but I'm so glad that. You toss in that little thing at the beginning, because I got to tell you, I'm not going to mention the podcast, but just a podcasting tip here is there was a podcast that I listened to recently that one of my followers recommended. Yeah. And I think I got 15 minutes into the show without having any sort of idea what the show was about.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I started putting that in there, because I know that, you know, we, we we get so used to talking to all of you longtime listeners. And that's and don't get me wrong. That's great. Uh, but it's easy, uh, especially when, you know, we've been doing this for six and a half years, it's easy to forget that every episode brings us new subscribers and, and we want to welcome you in. We don't want you to feel, we want you to feel like you've joined something that's, that's strong and exists and all of that good stuff. But at the same time, we don't want you to feel like you're excluded. And, uh, and that was kind of my idea. But when I started, what was it? Maybe six months, a year ago, I started doing that little, adding that little bit to the intro yeah. and, uh. And, and, and I think it was the result of, of a situation like you had, John, where you listened to another show uh, or I listened to another show and realized, hey, wait a minute, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> and aha, uh-huh, there might be people. In fact, I guarantee there are people that listen to Mackey and uh, have to listen for a while before they figure out what it's about. But that being said, let's dive right in and let's show them what this is about. That sound good. Let's get okay. down to it. All right. Yes. David writes. I have a question about Time Machine backups. I've been doing some work for a company and keeping their files on my Mac. The files have been backed up with Time Machine to my time capsule, as is everything on my Mac. I have now finished all the work and have given it over to the company, and I have securely erased it from the drive on my Mac. But it still exists in multiple versions on the backup. I don't want to keep their files on my backup. They don't want me to keep their files on my backup. Is there any way to remove and erase the files from the time capsule? So... Um, it's certainly possible to remove them. And the way you do it is this. You go into the finder, uh, and, and find the folder, uh, that contains, find the parent folder of whatever it is you want to erase, be it a file or another subfolder. Once you're there now, enter time machine. You can use the dock icon if you still have that or the menu bar icon. If you have that, once you're in time machine, highlight the folder that, You want to remove and then there's a little widget uh, menu that's in the uh, finders toolbar and drop down to that. And it will uh, there'll be an option there that says delete all backups of and it'll be whatever you've highlighted. Uh, Choose that. I believe it'll ask you to authenticate uh, type in your password and then it will proceed to remove all backups of that from your time capsule. Uh, whether it will secure erase those that I don't think is going to happen. I think it's just going to remove the pointers to them and then the, the, you know, remove the one, um, the backup of, of each file or of each version of the file. But, um, and I don't know that there's a way to go through and, and scrub the rest of that, uh, using the time machine interface. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's not, but at the very least you can remove them from your backups. Any thoughts on that, John? Always. I'm so glad you asked, by the way. I know. I'm going to so come up I'm, with another way of, of prompting you for, uh, for that information. Okay. All right. That's good. And I'm going to do it throughout the show today. In fact, I'm, I, I aspire to do it differently for each question, and I have no idea keep what it I'm going to say. Yeah, that's good. right. Yeah. So you're going to have to know, because some of these signals might not be as obvious as, you got any thoughts on that, John? So you're going to have to be, Right there. With all right. Me. Okay. I got
1: to pay attention. That's right. All right. You know, I got a problem with that sometimes. <laughs> all right. So here are my thoughts as follows. So number one, I would, I would conclude that what they are doing is removing both the link to the file and all the, are they hard links or symbolic links or whatever that are in the image? So I would assume if you choose that, it will be uh, deleted from either the file structure or the sparse image. Right. Right. Okay. But I have a few thoughts as follows. So, so thoughts and then some add ons here to that menu. So and number one, I don't know if that's called the widget menu or the tool menu. I call it the tool menu. Cause it's a little gear just, just to indicate visually right. what Dave is talking about. You're going to see in certain places in OS 10, you're going to see a little, yeah, it's a gear. And if you click on it, you will get additional options for whatever Let's program. Let's just call that in. the gear menu from now on. Well, that's what I was going to call it or the tool no. or the widget. let well, called the gear. It looks gear. like a gear. Well, it is a gear. It is a gear. That's right. All right. So so a number of thoughts here. So number one it's after the fact, but one thing I'm thinking that you may have want to have considered for this is to exclude it from time machine. So I'm suggesting something for the next time you do this because mingling customer data, confidential data on a personal machine always gets kind of touchy. Even so if you it's may his have, work
0: work machine. I mean, he, I, you know, I I don't know about that. I would keep backups on there cuz otherwise oh, no, no, you lose oh, your work. Well, no, what I'm suggesting is to keep backups, but
1: perhaps To go into Time Machine, because as people may know, but if you don't know, you can go to Time Machine and click on options and say exclude these items from backup. But but, but stay with me here, because at first you're going to say, well, John, you're not backing it up. Well, no, what I'm suggesting is that for items like this, you may want to exclude them from the start from Time Machine backups and then choose another tool like iDisk or Dropbox or SugarSync or iCloud or another service to kind of segment or or to to segment your work here and what you're backing up to where so just offering a suggestion for for when you do this again so that that's what i want that's the only thing i have to add as far as time machine um and and a backup strategy but you should certainly back it up and i i would suggest that you back it up maybe not in one place but multiple places Maybe just copy the folder or external hard drive, you know, not even time machine, but just, you know, have it not in one place, you know, because we always talk about avoiding single point of failure. But the other thing I noticed, Dave, is when I went to the gear menu, as we're going to dub it now, there are a couple other cool things that show up here. So, uh, and this is a general strategy in OS X, but I tried it in this menu and I noticed one thing. So if you click on that gear menu and you hold down control, get info changes to get summary info. Okay. Now, what is that, you may ask? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what happened? scratching my head for a moment here, but it only happens if you have multiple items selected in the Time Machine interface. And if you do, if you say get info, you'll get an info window for each item that you have selected. If you hold down control, get info then changes to get summary info and you get a single window that gives you a summary of all the items that are selected. Oh, okay. So similar to what happens when you're not in Time Machine. Well I think that's a, the same behavior in the finder too. Well that's what I mean. Yeah. And the other thing I noticed is that if you hold down option, get info will change to show inspector. Oh, very nice. And even and another thing when you hold down option is arrange by gets changed to sort by. So, while I was in the researching what what we put together for the show, I I just figured at this point, I'm like, gee, I wonder what happens if I jam on various keys and if anything changes here. And it does. So, uh, so it's nice that they not only give you the ability to scrub things from the time machine backup, but they give you a few other useful ways to navigate your time machine backup. Cool. And actually I got y you, you know what happened though, which aggravated me is that initially when I did this, I was in mail and I don't know what, what's happening with my system here, but I got stuck in the mail version of time machine and it uh-huh. took me forever to get out of it. I was jamming on cancel and escape and well, it seems so like I was
0: stuck there forever. You, you were stuck there um, because I did the same thing, actually. You know, I was in, <laughs> well, because we were both in the same mode, right? We're, we're going through our email right. and, and this question came in via email. So, you know, the first thought is, oh, yeah, enter time machine. And it's like, oh, crap. That's <sighs> right. This is mail has its own interface, which is cool. But uh, you, like me and like listener David, uses, we use uh, Time Capsule. And mounting the backup drive to do a restore from time capsule uh, takes a whole lot longer than it would if the drive were connected to the machine. There, There is a huge lag there as it goes through and parses and gets itself all set up. So, yeah, there, there is a delay uh, that you have to deal with before you can even hit the cancel key uh, when you have a time capsule. And I'm not using time capsule anymore. Oh, do you have a drive connected directly to your machine? no. Oh, you oh you're connected Thank to the Dave. Drobo, which is even slower. That's right. That's that's right. Yeah, the Drobo is terribly slow for for uh, for that kind of thing because it's well, individual you know, files I, and and it's slow for I don't know. That. I mean, I like the ability. So the
1: Drobo, as as some may know, that both Dave and I we now have a Drobo SF, FS FS FS, yes, which is the gigabit Ethernet version, and it allows you to partition part of your array as a Time Machine, and and that's what I've moved to. You know, I still have my my time capsule, but I'm not using that for that right now. I may go back to it, but I just wanted to see how it was on the Drobo. Sure, and it lets you define a fixed size, which is really nice. So I think I defined one for my MacBook Pro and one for my Mac Mini, and then the rest of it is just general purpose storage. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I've noticed. Um, but but I, yeah,
0: Drobo, it works, and it's a great time machine backup because of of what you just said there, and also it's you know it's got some fault tolerance uh, in just in the structure of the Drobo itself, but it is much slower to access um, because it's just small files and the Drobo is not really built for speed. It's built for redundancy and and ease of expansion and all of that good stuff. I'll have to let's benchmark benchmark
1: it. Well, all I'll say is that I did a a raw file transfer test and I would say the speeds that I would see, I've seen about 30 megabytes a second maximum throughput.
0: Sure. Large files. No problem. Small files. Very, very, very inefficient. Yeah. Moving on. Not too much of a tangent. <laughs> not, not too much. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Hi, John, Dave. This is Robert. I've got a question about FileVault. If I encrypt my disk using FileVault and then later delete a file, what is the chance that that file could then be recovered with some utility? That's all. Here's where you cut me off. Thanks. John, go!
1: I'm going to give you my gut feel on this, so I, I don't have any facts to back this up. But I'm going to go on years of of go experience. All right, go <laughs> With, file vault. The, the current implementation of file vault is basically a one or zero. In that, if you have the password, which or the key or the recovery key for the drive, it appears as any other drive and will operate as any other drive. So. If someone has the key or the recovery key, then they will see the drive as any other drive. And the chances of recovering a file are the same as it would be with any OS X volume. And that being a Unix based file system, once you delete something, the space can be recovered. Uh, there are utilities. My favorite example is is uh, uh, is it data rescue data rescue, right?
0: Yeah, I guess I always use um, MacKeeper to undelete. Cause, okay, because it's easy.
1: Okay, but yeah. but but in general, what these utilities do is that they will scour the drive and look for tags that are typical of a certain type of file. That you know, typically you have certain bytes that are at the beginning of a file that indicate what it is, whether it be a JPEG or a GIF or something else. That there's usually some signals there. Um, but yeah, the more you use the drive, the more that data is gonna is gonna get uh, the, uh eradicated. So uh, that's just my opinion. And, and I feel pretty strongly about it though. Someone, if you know differently, but, but the thing is that if you don't have the key, then as you know, I mean, the drive's encrypted. There's no clues as to what is what at all. So uh, to me, again, the only risk is that if someone can figure out the recovery key or brute force, the key and make sense of what's on the drive, then the chances of recovering something are as if, uh, I mean, if you're really worried about people recovering things, uh, or if you're really concerned of permanently deleting something, then choose secure delete. Right. Which is built in into uh, OS 10. And then the file will never be recoverable by anything because it scrubs it out pretty good. And I think the other thing is in this utility. There is also, I think, uh, what is it? Uh, It's buried in there somewhere, but uh, to clear out the free space, yeah. I think there, there's an option to scrub the free space. That's another thing. If you're if you're concerned about people recovering your data, go into disutility every now and then and say "I I don't have the exact menu and you know I can dig it up to be specific later or point to an article that uh talks about it, or I don't know if uh you know while I'm babbling here, Dave, you are starting up disutility and it's bouncing in your dock as I speak
0: to find this option. But I wasn't. You? But I, I did I did want to point one thing out. <laughs> um and, and that is that File Vault. We're actually not talking about File Vault. We're talking about File Vault Two. File Vault was a way of encrypting just your home directory as a disk image, and it was sort of crummy. File Vault Two is whole disk encryption, and therefore John's point stands. Right that that once uh, once the drive once you have access to the drive in a decrypted way, uh, which is via the operating system at this at this point with File Vault Two, then it, yeah, you can you can uh, undelete stuff. I have I've reached out to the folks at Zeobit that make MacKeeper. I haven't heard back from them about this, but uh, but I have undeleted things from my MacBook Air, which runs with Vault two, And so I, I presume that that supports your theory, John, that this works like anything else, as long as you uh, have access to the drive in, a, in an unencrypted or a decrypted. And you know fashion. what, Dave? I'm
1: glad you said that because you know what that did? That gave me the opportunity to start up this utility so yeah. we can give specific information to our beloved listeners. And what you do is you start up this utility, at least on my Snow Leopard machine. If you highlight a hard drive and then click on the erase tab, you will then see a button that says erase free space dot, dot, dot. Yep. You click on that. Of course, dot, dot, dot means something else is coming. So don't panic. You're not going to screw everything up quite yet. And then it says erase free space options. These options write over the unused space on the selected disk or volume to prevent disk recovery applications from recovering deleted files. It says it pretty, pretty clearly and it gives you three options. Zero, zero out, which is, you know, beginner seven pass erase or 35 pass, which is like DOD black ops. Um, <laughs> and it'll take forever, too, because I've seen the time estimates on 35 pass and it's a uh, Yeah. I mean, it's writing over the disk 35 times with with randomized data. So cool. that's where you find that. In I, I want to
0: point out one thing that Pilot Pete has been through. Uh, he upgraded to 10.7.2. He had 10.7.1 on his MacBook Air uh, and 10.7. Prior to that, when he upgraded to 10.7.2, however, uh, the machine would not boot. And he had <sighs> to he had to go all the way through uh, and and basically start it from scratch. He did that came back up um, and did it again. And the same problem. Wait, so would not boot after, after
1: installing the OS after the OS update. That's right. So did he get the flashing? Uh, Cause something, so you get uh, sometimes if yeah, you start the, the machine up, the do so not you got proceed. the flashing. So what He got? The flashing? Oh, the, the do not enter. Yeah. You got like it. The circle with a line through it.
0: That's oh. right. So, okay. That's bad. He went round and round with this and I'll spare you the, the rest of the story. But the punchline was that prior to upgrading to Snow Leopard, he had le- uh, sorry, prior to upgrading to Lion, he had Snow Leopard on the machine. So he went from 10.6 to 10.7. Uh, and he did it all the right way, but he had previously had PGP whole disk encryption on there. And even though he had turned that off, and even though File Vault worked fine in 10.70 and 10.71, there's something about 10.7.2 that if you have FileVault on a drive where you uh, previously had PGB whole disk encryption, it breaks. So he had to repartition his drive, not just format, but repartition the drive. Uh, and then he was able to to use 10.7.2 with FileVault uh, and that uh, that got him working. So, wow. yeah, just bear that in mind. Anybody out there that that previously I used am- some other whole disk encryption. So. Because I was thinking maybe a kernel extension or something, but it sounds no. like it's more than that. No, it's, wow. dry, it's dry. Well, hold this encryption is always driver level. It's it's, you know, it's before the kernel. So, huh. yeah. All what right. P- our, our first sponsor for this show is Smile Software with PDF pen, all available at smilesoftware.com. dot com. So they have PDF pen and PDF pen pro. And what they both do in a very general sense is allow you to edit and manipulate pdfs we all use pdfs all the time right well with pdf pen uh you can for example sign a pdf you can either use the mouse and do it or if you have a signature that you've scanned you can use pdf pen to paste it right into a pdf so if you've got a contract that you need to sign and you're not somewhere that you can print sign scan and you know send back or or what have you this is Is awesome. In fact, even if you are somewhere where you can print, sign, scan, this makes it so much faster. And I use this all the time for that. Even more than that, you can highlight a PDF, you can mark up a PDF, you can make notes on it and then send those notes to someone else so that they can see your thoughts on a document. You can edit the text in a PDF, which is really cool. So if you get a PDF and you see that, you know, some word needs to be changed or something's misspelled, normally, you know, the PDF is read only. Well, with this, you can actually highlight and edit text right inside a PDF. If you scan something, it'll turn it in to OCR text. It'll turn it in from graphical text to actual text, and then you can edit it. And it also makes the resulting file much, much smaller and easier to send around. You can redact stuff, too. If you have information in a PDF that you need to take out and completely take out, you can do that. PDF pen uh, is available at smilesoftware.com. There's a free trial for that and for PDF pen pro Uh, PDF pen pro adds a few features that you might find interesting. You can create forms with PDF pen pro, which is really cool. So, you know, we've all seen those forms that you can, there are PDFs that have that have forms in them that you can fill out. Well, PDF Pen Pro lets you create those forms and you can use menus and buttons and all that other cool stuff. Uh, you can create table of contents with PDF Pen Pro and you can import an HTML file or a website in and build that as a PDF. Now, they're both available as free trials. PDF Pen is $59.95 when you're ready to buy. PDF Pen Pro is $99.95 when you're ready to buy. Check it all out at Smile Software. Dot com and with that, let's go to roz roz says, "I was just catching up on episode three fifty nine and heard the listener talking about his Mac having a fan overheating problems. My issue is different, but uh, the the symptom was the same. I have a two thousand six MacBook a while ago, and the fans started going mad. The laptop was heating up and eventually switching off." I found a thread online which directed me at, oddly, the printer queue. The queue was backed up with a few jobs, and as soon as they were deleted, the fans went back to normal. I don't understand why this happened, but I'm no longer complaining. So, two things. First, Roz, thank you very much for sharing this tip, and, and, uh, and hopefully anybody else out there that runs into something similar will at least know to look at the print queue and see see what's going on. Uh, but the, the question why is an interesting one. And it's, no, it's important to remember... That there are, in a very general sense, there are two types of printers that your Mac is going to print to. There is the type of printer that is most typically, but not always, a laser printer, uh, where most of the work of deciding how the page is printed is left up to the printer. So we'll call those smart printers. Then there are, there's the other kind of printer, which usually, again, but not always, are inkjet printers where all of the work Hmm. of deciding how to do the printing is actually done on the computer at the driver level. And we'll call those, yeah, we'll call those dumb printers. Fascinating.
1: So go ahead. I, 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 I'm just surprised at the direction you're taking here. Okay. I I don't, I don't disagree with any of it yet. Okay.
0: (laughs) So, so if you, if you have a laser printer, uh, you Printing a even a text file to it, right? You know, just a typical like word processing document. It's a very very quick process. You just send it off, and the you send off to the laser printer here. Print these fonts at this place on the page, and the laser printer says, "Great, I'm good to go." And then that can happen with you know uh, PostScript or PCL, or it doesn't matter. It's just you know the computer tells the laser printer, and that's what happens. Uh, with an inkjet printer, if you print that same document, the computer has to decide where on each page each dot of ink goes. And then it has to tell the printer that. So this requires a lot of CPU horsepower. Uh, and so th- this problem can happen with the latter type of printer where the driver is doing all of that work. But something has happened and there is this bug and we've talked about it here before where s- stuff can just get stuck in the print queue. And sometimes you need to empty out the print queue as as Roz mentioned Uh and other times you have to delete the print queue and actually re-add the printer to your system to clear it all out. But it's with that second, that latter type of printer, which is, of course, the far more common printer where the computer's doing most of the work. And if stuff gets stuck in the print queue, it's going to be crunching that constantly over and over and over again. And it's never actually printing. So it never finishes. And therefore, it, you know, the CPU stays pegged. I've seen this problem actually on on. We have two, both types of printers here in the house. We have a laser printer in the office and an inkjet over at the house. And I've seen this happen at the office, but you don't notice it until you realize, wow, hey, nothing's coming out of my printer. But the CPU isn't spinning and spinning. When it happens at the house, both things happen, right? The CPU is totally pegged and nothing's coming out of the printer. And it's because you've got, you know, dumb printer versus smart printer. In either case, the solution is the same. So that's, that's my thought. Mr. Braun, your opinion, please. Ooh, that was a subtle <laughs> cue to get
1: me to talk. And I've been thinking about this, and you know, I, I I think I'm with you on this. So whereas with a laser printer where you have a, a actually a programming language, and I, I've programmed in PostScript, or PCL, but that gets packaged up by the computer and then sent off to the printer, and the printer then takes over the work. So, So I'm with you on that. Okay, yeah. And I think the other thing is, in general, USB devices tend to put the work, whether it be just manipulating the data or rendering the page, do it more on the computer. But my, my fish shake here, and and I don't know why this is a problem. I, I, I should dig into USB printer drivers more. But can't you tell that the printer's not there? Because it seems a lot of cases what happens is that it's in the print queue and Either the print queue or the print driver is too stupid to realize there is no printer that is going to receive what you're doing ever, ever. So why don't you just stop trying to render the page? And I've I've seen this as as well with it. And I I don't think it's universal. I think it's just with certain USB printers. It's not just USB.
0: It it definitely happens with network printers, too. I see it all the time. In fact, if our our network printer goes offline or is like online, offline, you know, and unresponsive. The same thing happens, right. but but again, network printers are typically the the smarter type of printer, and therefore don't cause the CPU spike that we're that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, I'll have to think about this more because I'm I'm as you're sensing, I'm I'm thinking it may be a choice of the mechanism used to render the page, whether it's PostScript, which I still have my. <laughs> you know, Battlefield phone era, <laughs> GCC Elite 1200 DPI laser printer, which I've had for like probably 15 years. Yep. And if it's not there and I
0: try to print to it, the computer doesn't wedge. But I have. John, you're a, not listening, though. That's what I'm saying. I'm listening. But the computer won't wedge because it doesn't have to do the work. It's just looking to pass off the postscript. Right. Right. OK. No, I'm, no we're I'm, saying the same I, I think thing, I'm, I think I'm, think. Yeah, I think I'm yeah. agreeing with you. OK. okay.
1: Whereas I have seen it with with yeah with the inkjet sometimes right. uh, again the, the somebody's not smart enough to know that there's nobody there to listen so why don't you just stop what you're doing right and I said that twice and I think that's enough so <laughs> especially after
0: I said it the one time <laughs> all right, Lewis
3: hi guys this is Lewis and we're in County California again I've got some confusion regarding the transition from Mobile Me to iCloud I'm running a, an iPhone running iOS five. I've got multiple machines that are all running versions of Leopard and Snow Leopard. Uh, I've got multiple applications as well as hardware that won't run in Lion or in w- at least one case even in Snow Leopard. Um, I'm wondering what's going to happen to all those machines that are running OS's pre-Lion once MobileMe is turned off in, what is it, next next summer? Uh, I'm very dependent on the mobile me syncing uh, to my iPhone, both with iCal and with Address Book, And I wouldn't have a tro- problem transitioning to iCloud if the other OS has supported it. Uh, so what's going to happen once all that gets turned off next year? Am I, am I going to be left in the dust and unable to sync any of my devices unless I upgrade to Lion? Thanks so much for your advice. You can cut me off now.
0: All right, so uh, I will pull out my crystal ball, which itself is oh. dusty, uh, and I will predict that between now and probably the end of the year, but, but certainly by the time we have to, you know, b- b- the Mobile Me sunset, which is what, June or something of next year, that there will be a version of Snow Leopard that supports iCloud. Uh, we've seen bits and pieces of this surface. We saw them surface over the summer on, uh, you know, screenshots surfaced on some of the, the you know, less reliable rumor sites out there. But I, I think these screenshots were accurate. I, I think that because it's not, there is nothing technically limiting about uh, that, that that forces iCloud to only work in Lion. There's nothing inherent to Lion, as far as I can tell that that uh that makes iCloud possible and impossible on other builds of of the OS but but they simply have to add it right i mean it you know it still needs to be there i mean it's using caldav it's using carddav uh all this stuff can work and in fact depending on what you have to do you might be able to get away with it without m- migrating to iCloud uh or without migrating your snow leopard machine to iCloud which of course you can't do um if you were to use BusyCal instead of iCal, BusyCal will connect to an iCloud server directly. You don't don't have to you don't do it in the preference pane. You don't need an iCloud preference pane. You do it all right inside of BusyCal and and it works just fine. So if you're if it's your calendar, you're already good to go. If Well, it, you and I went through this.
1: <clears throat> so I was the fool and I migrated <laughs> to iCloud, right. and all of a sudden the calendar that you and I shared on mobile me, which is a
0: it's uh, CalDAV, CalDAV, it's just calendar. a different server.
1: Right. So the problem is once I migrated, all of a sudden I couldn't see it anymore, even though it is technically a CalDAV one. Then, the, the, And your solution, which uh, you're good at, was to push it back out to us. Uh, so I guess you imported the data
0: and then pushed it back out to Google Calendar. That's right. So you could also sync with Google Calendar, which doesn't use iCloud at all. And, and that also works with iCal or BusyCal. Uh, as far as syncing with iCloud's card... Uh, card dev server. So the address book server, it is possible uh, there, there, there's an article out there and we're not going to walk through the steps here because they're very convoluted and you have to go find a server name and sniff headers and things like that. But you, you can do it inside uh, address book and snow leopard. You have to, you have to go find out exactly which card dev server of iClouds you're connecting to. And then you can, you can make that work. The alternative, and it is limited, but the alternative is that you could again use Google uh, and sync your clients that way. And that'll work on your iPhone and, and on both, you know, all of your Macs, regardless of of uh, of whether or not they're on Snow Leopard or Leopard. So I think you will or uh, Snow Leopard or Lion. I think you will be left in the dark with Leopard. I don't think they're going to go ahead and update 10.5 and. add. Oh, no, no, no. And add iCloud to it. But I think you will see iCloud added to Snow Leopard. I, I don't have any any certain. Uh, Confirmation of this, but but that's what my dusty crystal ball says, is that is that you can do it. But but again, you can do it now if you're if you're willing to just jump through a couple of these hoops. And again, that same hoop that I described for a dress book uh, will work for iCal as well. You have to kind of point it at it and figure it out. Um, but it's it's not it's really not that bad. So so there you go. It it is it to, it is totally possible to do those things. Now you don't get photo sync. You know, you don't get find my Mac. You don't get uh, some of the other more customized and more system integrated things. But the uh, certainly address book and and calendars, because they because they're using standard servers, CalDAV and CardDAV, you can make that work right now with Snow Leopard. But but you hopefully won't have to. If you can hang on to mobile me for a while, which I recommend you doing, uh, wait until that iCloud thing is working. I think I think Apple's waiting until they get what they feel are the kinks worked out of iCloud, and then they'll go ahead and let people with previous versions of the OS go ahead and do it. True.
1: All right. True sure that I agree with you, but but the only what? other thing I want to bring up here is make sure, and you, you should probably always be doing this, Dave, but in any of your contact or schedule management apps, export your data every now and then. Yeah. They even recommended this, and I got to give Apple credit during the iCloud transition that I did. They said, you know, by the way, before you go through this kind of monumental change here, why don't you go to the file menu and say export and take all the data here, and write it to a file anywhere. Because if this screws up or the power goes out, which, you know, we've been having a lot of that, especially in the Northeast here, um, you should probably be doing that on a fairly regular basis anyways, uh, if it's important to you.
0: Michael writes, you mentioned in this week's, uh, uh, oh, oh, wait wait a minute. This is not. Um, oh,
1: whoa, whoa. where are we here? Uh,
0: weren't we jumping to, uh, to Michael, right? Yeah. No. Which Michael? Michael one, Michael two. Uh, the next Michael on the agenda. All right. So you, yeah. you mentioned that following a clean line install, you could then use migration assistant to move data back from a clone drive and apps. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that would include Microsoft Office also. Or do I have to <gasps> reinstall it from the DVD? Mr. Braun, who's jumping at the bit, go, yes, sir, <laughs> okay,
1: uh, we are now in sync here, and I responded as such to Michael, Any application in your applications folder, and one would hope that Microsoft Office is one of these, should migrate just fine now, how do you do this? Well, of course, we'll talk about it once, but we've we'll talk about it again. Migration assistant has. Uh, when you run this has a specific selection saying by the way could you migrate my applications over and the last time I did this Microsoft Office migrated over beautifully so it's smart enough to take that and and any other pieces of the app that need to come over and we will link to a support article that tells you uh, in a bit more detail about all the choices that you can make with the migration assistant the only thing that I noticed with Microsoft Office and this is uh my fist shake at them, is if you change your computing environment enough, like if you change a hard drive or a computer, it will come up and ask you for your key. And and if you've listened to prior shows, you will know that my installation keeps asking for the CD key, even though I continually present it and I have not changed my hard drive or my computer. Yes, when I upgraded to the SSD, yes, okay, it changed the uh, UUID or whatever good of of the drive. And so office said, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? You know, you're trying to rip me off. Well, no, it's a review copy. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and I have it actually stored in a file on my computer because it keeps asking me. So I have to keep typing in this, you know, 25 character key because it, it gets confused. And I got to write to the guys at Mac App Like you suggested Dave to, to find out why this keeps happening. So, Quick answer: Yes, use Migration Assistant. If anything, you may be asked for a key, or you may have to go through a one-time, uh, you know, application startup dialogue, whatever app you're using.
0: But I've been very happy with it. I don't know about you, Dave. Uh, I didn't use migration. Oh, did I use Migration Assistant? I'm trying to remember. Did you? Uh, have I, you? You I, must have I, once at least with Lion. Um. Yeah, I did. In fact, the iMac at the house. Uh, which was plaguing me because I did all the upgrades with it. I made a clone of the drive. I wiped it. I put a fresh install line on, and then I migration assistant it in the, um, just the user and and application data. And it's been fine since then. So yeah, that's been good. All right, let's uh, uh, let's go to Dave. Dave has a, An interesting question here.
2: Hey, guys. My name's Dave. had a question on uh, iOS 5 Reminders app. I'm loving the um, location-based reminders, but one thing I'm struggling with is um, when you go in, you can, like, set a preset for what your work and your home address are, and then it seems like those always stay set as an option, and then you always have the option for a third choice of a custom the address that I set for my work is uh, obviously the address for my contact card, the physical address. But what's happening is the GPS is detecting a different street address and it seems like no matter what type of thing I try to do, whether it's set a reminder at work, or, or excuse me, to uh, ring when I arrive or when I leave, they never register. So today as an alternative, I tried manually setting one on my current location when I was at work and set it to uh, Dean when I left, and then when I left, it worked. So what I want to do is I want to reset what my work address is, but for some reason it won't let me do that. No matter what I try, you don't have an option to go in and say, uh, this contact card is my work or this contact card is my home, and I can't find a way to, d- to delete the preference of what I already set. So uh not sure if that makes sense. Hopefully you guys can help. Um, this way you can cut me off.
0: Okay, so what Dave's talking about is this cool thing in iOS 5 called uh, setting a geofence in reminders. And it works just as he described, where you set some address at which you want to be notified of something when you're coming or going or both. And it does it. Uh, To answer your question, though, Dave, the address book on your Mac, I think, is going to be the key to this answer. If you go into a address book on your Mac, there's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, you can find a contact record and then go up to the card menu and choose make this my card. Once you've done that, you can then choose card and go to my card. Uh, for you, I would do the latter first. I would go card, go to my card and see where it brings you. Uh, assuming you're syncing with iCloud or, or even MobileMe, this data should be in sync back and forth between your two machines so, or between your you know, your two machines, your, your iPhone being the other machine. In here is where I would edit that and then force a sync with uh, with other iCloud or, or MobileMe, whatever you're using. And and I think that's going to work for you. Uh, at least I hope it will, because otherwise I don't think there's a way to edit that data on the iPhone uh, unless, you, you know, unless you ask Siri to do it. And, and that might actually work. I, I've been impressed with some of the stuff that uh, you know I've asked Siri to do, and it, it like it just gets it. So, so I, I I say that as a joke, but it might not be a joke. So that that would be you know yeah. a plan B. So did she did she sing you a song? Yeah, she did. She said so. I said that in the show. Did I say this in the last one? I forget. But uh, but yeah, I, well, I think I mentioned. we talked about it. I think I mentioned that you know if the, if she sings me Daisy, I'm throwing the thing out the window. And of course, many of you wrote in and told me, yeah, ask her to sing you a song. She'll sing you Daisy. So yeah, that was good. All right. Um let's see. You let's know I go. got a let's little go. commentary on that if I could. Could I? If you want a barrel hit. Well, wait, we 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 we've got a lot to cover. Just, we, we, go. Well, Would my you?
1: only commentary is that, uh, so this sounds like a location issue thing and the thing is I've noticed mm. that some people have commented on the accuracy of the location mechanism in in the iPhone, and I've noticed
0: this as well, right? Well, I mean, that's exactly his problem, right? Is it's putting him at a at an alternative address, and he's because looking, you and I have seen to this. work around that. That's so, right. number
1: one, I'm on iOS five, uh, so I have an iPhone four, Verizon. I'm on iOS five, and I've noticed because I've also been traveling a lot between Connecticut and Manhattan for a lot of these extravagant uh, uh, media events, and a lot of times I'll see a little screen coming up saying. By the way, Wi-Fi is off, dude. Could you, if you turned it on, I could be a bit more accurate. And that's funny because I don't recall seeing that before. So, so uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, I noticed. So, so a lot of times I'm on the train here. I'm on a Metro North, which is the railroad that is, you know, goes into and out of New York City and Connecticut. And a lot of times I'll run the map application on Google, and a lot of times it's accurate. Sometimes it's not though. Sometimes I still notice. Now yes, I'm in a train in a big metal tube, but it still works pretty good. Yeah. And and a slight tangent here. I did find a application called GPS speed because I'm very curious how fast the train is going, and this does a pretty good job. I think uh for the most part the train goes about 70 miles an hour, maybe a little more. Um but I'm just uh, but, but but I guess my final reflection is that uh, and I think our own Julie uh a uh, recent a uh, contributor to the TMO staff noticed that at one point I guess uh, she was using another location related service and I guess she noticed her son um who I believe is not quite legal was appearing at a refinery a liquor store uh, but but she no- I I think she enabled find my friends for for a member of the family and he was appearing in places that were highly unlikely that he would be at so <laughs> so the GPS thing is uh I don't know. My experience is that it's 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 pretty good. Um again, Apple now warns you that enabling Wi-Fi, which I guess they collect additional data could help you, but I've just seen a lot of wackiness. So
0: that's interesting. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, it 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 it's not always correct, but it's it's usually close and it's consistent, even if it's you know incorrect, or at least in Dave's case it is. So uh all right, let's jump to uh, let's jump to Craig. Craig has an interesting little tip to share with us.
2: Hi, John and Dave. Over the weekend, I heard about a security vulnerability on the iPad 2 running iOS 5. If you have a passcode set on your iPad 2, there's still a way you can get into the iPad by passing the security code. If you have a smart cover, you open the smart cover, hold down the power button until you see the slide to power off, then close the smart cover reopen it and click cancel and then you will see you're into the iPad with bypassing the security code. One important thing to notice is you can't actually open any applications so no one can actually get into your data. However, you can delete applications from the device. So, although you could not lose any personal data, you could lose all your application saved data. Okay, I hope this helps. You can cut me off here. Awesome. Thanks, Craig.
0: That's pretty cool, huh, John? Kind of scary, man. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's going to be fixed in uh, you know five hundred one or whatever they're working on right now. I don't know. I don't. know. Are you still there, John? I don't. I don't have an iPad,
1: so I I can't comment. I mean, my only uh, yeah. comment was you know we were talking about the uh uh photo ability where if you double click on the uh, iOS five iPhone, you can get in the photo app and and possibly engage in shenanigans, but right. But at least that, even that, you know, I, because I noticed that and, you know, it comes up and I try to click on the camera roll and it says, well, no, 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 no. You can only take pictures, not look at them. Right. So, but no, that, that's, uh, I'd be concerned. Yeah, you should be. Deleting, well, deleting apps. I mean, dude, that, no, that, that's, <laughs> that's serious.
0: So I'm yeah. not getting an iPad. Nope. Not until that, they get their act together. I'm sorry. That, that'll do it. That's, that's the reason, huh? Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Plus, I don't
1: really need one yet. Yeah, well, that's I'm totally happy with my compliment of Apple uh,
0: goodies here. Yeah, no, you need more. You got to feed that need. All right, uh, another tip about updating the line.
4: Hi, John. Hi, Dave. First off, I just wanted to say what a great show you guys run, and thank you so much for all of your knowledge. Thank um, you. Second, I found a little tidbit which is pretty nice that. Apple is now doing. Remember when the new versions of the OS would come out? They would come out on the disk, and you know, it would come with the well, somewhat newest update. Usually, they're like one version behind because of you know, production of disk and all that stuff. But now, they will update the recovery partition on your hard drive to be like in the new update that just came out 10.7.2. And those of us with really either limited amount of bandwidth or just really bad bandwidth love that because that means we only have to download the update once and then we can take it around to all the different Macs, which you can download it from Apple's site, I believe. But um also when something happens and you need to recover from the um Partition when i which I actually do every seven or eight months because I notice a difference, a big difference so but you know I'm on a disk, not an s s d like you guys so um yeah, it really helps, but uh, I used to have bad bandwidth now I don't so uh hey, thanks for the um knowledge, and have a great day.
0: Thanks for the heads up. That's uh that is good to note that, uh, that your recovery partition will be kept in sync. If you keep up to date with all of your system updates, that's a good thing. Uh, Ben sent a note in and pointed out and something I hadn't even realized, John, the new IMAX of, of which I've got one downstairs, the headphone oh. jack on it supports the controller on the headphones. So if you've got like headphones from the new, uh, you know, iPhone or whatever, where you can go up and down with the volume and all that stuff, uh, it works if you've got those plugged into your iMac, which is pretty cool. That's, uh, you know, it's a, it, it again, one of those things that, uh, you know, endears us to Apple and their products. Somebody somebody thought about that and wasn't difficult to make it happen, but they bothered to make it happen, which uh, huh. which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a short tip. Yeah, go give me a short.
1: tip. Yeah, go. OK, yeah. short tip. And this was a little uh, detective work on my part here. So I have the iFi card. I think you have an iFi card too as well, Dave? Yeah, the, the battery hog of a thing
0: that it is? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's handy if you have the batteries. And I have not one, not two, but three batteries for my current camera. All right. Because I know. All right. So anyways, here, here was what I ran into. So one of the things that the iFi card does, which is something that I think is pretty darn cool, is that it will include geotag data or... To get down to it, latitude and longitude of where you took your picture. Now, how does it do this? Well, it does this because it, it's not a GPS, but the iFi card is using Wi-Fi and, and something called, uh, I believe it's Skyhook, right? Okay. And then it embeds the data. And then what they have is a application that will then take the pictures out of the iFi card and do some magic and then place them on your Mac and have that data in a field in the photo. So uh, for those of you that don't know, a photo is not just a photo, but a photo, especially with something called EXIF, which I, uh, I don't know what it stands for. But it's basically a, an extension to a photo that tells you all sorts of wonderful things, the, the camera, the lens, the, the, the aperture, the shutter speed it, and the possibly the location of where the photo was taken which the iFi utility should be doing, and it does. But I noticed after a while, Dave, and you know, I moved to Aperture but, uh, for managing my photos, but I noticed after a certain point in time, even though the status showed up in the iFi utility, or they call it iFi center, it would not appear when I imported the photos into Aperture. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. What huh. caused this? And I finally found it out and and hats off to the people at iFi because they figured it out. So here was the cause of the problem, because at first I thought, well, let me look. Let me get a, a number of utilities to look at this. So Aperture, when I pulled the photos in and I looked at the location, said there's nothing here. And I'm like, well, that's weird because the iFi utility showed that the data was there it, it, before it was imported. So somebody was aware of it. So I opened Preview, which is Apple's photo uh, general purpose utility. It couldn't see the data. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of weird. Like, is this a... And then in the back of my mind, I was thinking, is this an Apple problem? And as it turns out, it was. Because then I broke up my old friend, Graphic Converter. Graphic Converter, I've been using, Dave, and you and I have both met the creator. He's been to Circuit Mac. He's a great guy. But um, Graphic Converter saw the data. And I'm like, okay, well, then this is not a problem with the data kind of being lost. This is a problem with, with Apple. And as it turns out, the iFi people, and I will link to the article where they point this out, it was a problem with Apple. So actually, I think Apple, when they upgraded to 10.6.8, updated their parser for parsing the data that was tagged onto a photo. Not the not the photo data, but the additional data that was put in there. And apparently, they decided to ignore certain da- data with a certain format. And the iFi boys figured it out. And girls. Cool. Men, women, whatever. But it was so frustrating because all of a sudden, the data was was gone. And I'm like, all right, who's responsible for this? So, right. so it was just a fun detective story to find out who's responsible for this. But the thing is, it was consistent in the Apple applications that none of the Apple applications, Aperture, iPhoto, or preview saw it. So that's what led a lot of us down the path that it's an Apple problem and not necessarily an iFi problem. So
0: interesting. Uh, so I have a, a cool stuff found thing to uh, to talk about here. And then, I want to talk a little bit about Mac Tech, which was one of the two conferences I was at in L.A. last week. Uh, but the cool stuff found is something called NetSpot, and I just got an email about this today. Uh, it's at netspotapp.com. Have you ever gone to uh, like a conference or 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 somewhere where you, there's lots of geeky people and you see what essentially looks like a heat map for a wireless network where it shows you. Uh, you know, where all the clients are and where the good connections are and where the bad connections are. Well, NetSpot lets you uh, and it's free, lets you do this for yourself at your house. So, you know, we're always trying to figure out where's the best place to place our, you know, uh, especially if you're using something like Powerline to get mo- wireless base stations in two spots to maximize coverage in the house. I've always done that you know sort of trial and error i put one in place and i move around and if i get signal well i'm done right well and that works but that's not really all that much fun is it so with NetSpot, you actually build out you know and you just wireframe your your house or whatever and then you walk around and tell it where you are with your macbook or your macbook pro or your macbook air or whatever it is and uh and, and then it'll start to tell you, okay, here's how this is. And it'll, it'll show you where things get weak and where things get strong. And then maybe you can move a base station around or change a channel or whatever. So, uh, so check it out. Uh, it's very, very geeky. And I actually, like I said, I just found out about it today. So I haven't had a chance to do this over at the house, but I am eager to do so because it seems like it's just going to be so much fun. And speaking of geeky and, and
1: make sure you go to netspotapp.com. Right. That's right. Because I, I just, app. Because I just looked at netspot.com dot and uh, uh, not good the evil in the world has oh well it's basically a parking site oh yeah no there's nothing yeah NetSpot shocking.
0: NetSpot app that's right but speaking of Groovy. geeky goodness and and all of that stuff uh, I did get to attend the Mac Tech conference uh, last week. And, and we at TMO have been media sponsors actually at Mac tech for well, the, well, what which, is it, Dave? What is the, this Mac tech thing? So we've been media sponsors for the two years that it's been in existence. And if John stops interrupting me, I'll tell you, uh, sorry, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> I'll stop. That's Go. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, but after having been, you know, I've always been happy to be a media sponsor after having been, I am actually proud that we're media sponsors. This event. It's, it's a conference. It's relatively small. I mean, it's not tiny. Uh, there were, you know, maybe 350, 400 people there. And there are two tracks. It's a three day conference and there's two tracks. One is for it professionals. So, and there's people there from the enterprise and also people there that are just independent consultants, right? You know, that are out there helping people with their Macs and kind of everything in between. Uh, and so that's the it track and there's sessions all day long for, uh, for I think two and a half days. Uh, and then there's a developer track, which is, it's really actually kind of cool. I thought, why do we need a developer track at a conference when we already have WWDC? And the answer is, because WWDC developers don't get to talk to each other. We just, you know, it's developers just get to hear from Apple. It's a one way dump kind of thing. So this is you getting to either speak if you're a developer or hear from your fellow developers uh, about some of the things that they've gone through. And I mean, it, the the conference is built so that you would do one track or the other. I wound up bouncing between the two and was totally stoked to do so. Uh, there's just some great stuff going on. They had a couple of great keynotes. Uh, Guy Kawasaki spoke. In fact, Guy at at the last minute. Well, Mm. maybe a week ago, he changed his he was going to talk about his new book, Enchantment, and kind of go through all that and relate it to the conference. But uh, instead, he spoke about the uh, I think he called his presentation, the 13 things I learned working with Steve Jobs. And it was it was perfect. I mean, it was the right crowd for it. And uh, and it was that was great. Andy uh, Inako spoke. Um, But but this conference. You know, it was so nice to go to a conference that was small like this, like minded people, you know, I mean, definitely, you know, my my type of people, of course. Right. Uh, But it was like, well, and and even Neil Tickton, the organizer of Mac Tech said this, he said, it's like camp. And it was we ate all of our meals together, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Uh, We did a, You know, the evening activities were all planned and we did them together. It was in Universal City uh, at the Sheraton there. And one night they had a tram come and pick us all up. And we did the back lot tour at night of the, uh, of, of universal studios. And the next night there was a party at, at, you know, a, a bar nearby where there was like bowling and karaoke. And, you know, it was just, but it was just everybody hanging out with each other. And, everybody would treated each other as equals. There was no pecking order. There was no, and, and that, and I think that happens when you're at a show that where there, where you're not planning on doing all this stuff together. So you have to figure out, well, who am I going to eat lunch with? Who am I going to eat dinner with? And you, and you wind up becoming very clicky, you know, and and you go and and you kind of tend to stay in the same circles and you might not break out. And, uh, and this was not that at all. It was awesome. Really, really well done. And, uh, and so it, they'll do it again next year, I'm sure. I would love to go next year, and I look forward to going next year. Um, but uh, but I'll, we'll let you know about it, too, because, uh, because anybody that's in that realm, developers or IT pros or both, it, it just go. Don't think twice. It's, you know, and even after the planned events are over, of course, everybody winds up hanging out down in the hotel bar. And I think I mentioned that during the, our show on Thursday. That, oh, you know, well, I'm, you got your uh, right. fable to uh- that, that I got my Ethernet, my USB connector just by wandering around in the hotel bar. It was awesome. <laughs> it, it, it's almost good because, like I said, I posted to Twitter about it and then gave up on Twitter and walked down to the bar. If I had not given up on Twitter, I would have found it. <clears throat> Several people replied on Twitter and said, oh, yeah, just come to my room. And, you know, they like DM me and gave me the huh. numbers or whatever. But that and that would have worked fine. And I appreciate that. But it was actually more fun to go and have this adventure down in the hotel bar and, and try and figure it out. And it worked. So, so yeah, it really, really well done show. I, you can, you can tell I'm excited about it. So it was, it was nice. It reminded me a lot, John, of the first two podcast expos, different track sessions and all that, but just that whole, you know, we're all together and just hanging out and enjoying each other's company and learning from each other at the same time.
1: Well, you know, I've even read. So number one, I think I would like to attend the next, uh, you would, event yeah you totally yeah. you yeah. and i can uh, go together sure but, but also i've heard uh so mac tech sounds like something that uh yeah i think uh, uh deserves
0: increased coverage by mac observer there you go and me well we we did a bunch of uh we did a bunch of interviews last week yeah but we i published. think you need more oh, I, I think see. you need more help I, I get i get where you're going you want you want this <laughs> you want all expenses paid don't you <laughs> That'd be nice. But,
4: uh,
1: <laughs> but also, um, no, but the 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 the, uh, the vibe I get from uh, blog world is that they've also kind of adjusted their or, I, I get a better vibe from what they did this year as far as podcasters, because I don't know about you, but I, I always saw a divide between podcasting and blogging and that they, they didn't necessarily handle it as well as they could have. And I don't know if they they fixed it this year. I mean a lot it, of people they I saw a lot of I, I saw a lot of feedback saying that LA was a good balance for the audience that was there as far as content consumers and providers
0: and exhibitors, but, but I'm Yeah no it, this was better. This year was better than last year, for okay. sure. There's still work to be done. Uh but the good news is that they at Blog World are committed to doing this work. Uh and I think that at some level, Blog World Expo will be a good thing for podcasters to attend. That said, and I've said this to the organizers of Blog World, uh, I'm not convinced that Blog World Expo is what most podcasters want out of a show. I don't know that it okay. ever will be. Well,
1: that was my, my take as well. The, yeah. the, the podcast, the New Media Expo, when you and I went to that, uh, although it was in you know, kind of an out-of-the-way out city, Ontario, California, right, which right. caused all sorts of havoc for the postal no, but, but system.
0: It, it, right, but it forced us to all just be together. And I, I really think that that there is a, a need for that or a, a desire for that amongst the podcast. Well, I felt community. a, I felt yeah. a sense of community.
1: Exactly, it was people that grokked, and 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 also in the, you know, I harp on this, but the exhibits. It was mics. It was recording. It right. was it was production software. It was stuff that. And and I still see I I don't know maybe I'm creating a division here but I see a clear division between podcasters and bloggers. You're using a different medium. You're doing the same thing I think, but right. you're using a different medium. And I think it it lends itself to to different exhibitors and appealing to a different audience. So yeah, I n- I never honestly not that we're supposed to be doing this here, but I ne- I never really got a, a good vibe after the the two combined.
0: Well, you know, and I'll even take it one step back. So Podcast go. Expo happened for three years. For the first two years, it was in Ontario, California, which yeah. essentially was this, you know, kind of what I described with Mac Tech, where we were all in basically one place. Well, it was. I mean, it was
1: like, where's the party? Well, it's like- Everywhere. One of three hotels. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And it, it was, Or one of three or five restaurants. I mean, there were only so many places you could go, and if you went to
0: a certain place, you knew you would run into other people that were part of the crowd. That's right, and when they moved it, from Ontario to uh to Vegas, even before they sold and merged with Blog World Expo, it lost all of that. And and I think that well, Vegas is huge and right. unmanageable to me. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, the, the Blog World guys, to their to their credit, are interested in and doing everything that they can mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. this show work. And again, I think at at some level it did this year and, and it will continue to work well for podcasters in the future. But I, I think there's, there is a fundamental difference between what that show does and what some podcasters and potentially the majority of podcasters want out of a, a community type of show. But you know, the, yes. we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, it was, but blog world was good too. It was, uh, like I said, much better than uh, than last year, at least from my standpoint as a uh, as a podcaster. Mm. I mean, you know, I I attend that show and I have various various interests because we have we run TMO and I mean we run Oh, Backbeat no cool stuff, stuff found uh, oh well, next but time didn't we just talk about cool stuff found? when that's spot up? Do you have do you have something to add? Go cool stuff found. Pick one. Go. I have two. Okay. Quick, yeah, pick one. Okay, pick one. Go, and then we'll do. No, one. I'm going to pick We've got two. Five shows this month to do. So you know. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So.
1: Shows I went to. Number one, RCA USB wall plate charger. What is this? It's kind of cool. It's a it's a block you plug into your wall plate. It gives you one outlet and two outlets. But the cool part is one of them is for anything. And the other one is a 2.1 amp iPad. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah iPad yeah. compatible. Yeah. And it's 20 bucks. I think they have it at Target and stuff like that. They sent me one. I love it. And I've equipped at least one outlet in my house with this. Number two, Z Zero Chroma. So the Glyph, if you remember, I like the Glyph. It's a little uh, attachment on your iPhone that lets you yeah. um, both make it a tripod mount and a stand. So what the Zero Chroma is, and I was mentioning to you, Dave, that our buddy Duffy. Hi, Duffy. I tweeted about this because I thought it was so cool. It is a hard case. It does not protect the front, but it's a hard case. But it has a... 14 position stand that stands both in portrait or landscape mode so to me it's almost like the perfect stand oh. and they gave me a sample and I, I tweeted about it and a couple of friends have already bought it so to me it's like the evolution uh, though though i like the the glyph it's also very nice but uh yeah so two things of course we'll link into it in the show notes and you may be asking yourself where could i find the show notes and i'm going to tell you dave yeah, tell Kind me. of out of order here, but if you want to find the show notes, you could probably go to com or, yeah, I'm going to screw it up here. No, I'm not. So <laughs> MacGeekGab.com is absolutely where you want to go on the web to find out about all the episodes, both sponsored and premium. But if you want to find out about, well,
0: what else do we have here? Well, we, I mean, you can email us to feedback at com. Oh, my God. I almost forgot.
1: <laughs> but I would say probably you want to, uh, not what you said. I, I would send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com, Dave.
0: Now make it feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can also pick up the phone and call us to 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is at least in this world, four three three five. Imagine if they change that someday. Uh, you can Skype us to MacGeekGab, and we will get that. And you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Anything else you and want to add, John? Twitter, of course. Twitter. So when the show notes come out. Well, when the show
1: comes out, you can go to Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. And you will see when the show comes out. You will also see when the show notes come out. But it's not only MacGeekApp. At Twitter, it's me, which is Jonathan Ron. It's Dave, which is Dave Hamilton. It's Pilot Pete, who is piloting somewhere. He's Pilot Pete.
0: Uh, Mac Observer. I think that's all our Twitter handles right here. That is so Twitter. We would like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators, formerly iPhone Alley podcast, for converting this and most every other show into AAC format for us. Cashfly.com, C A C H E F L Y.com, provides all the bandwidth for us here to get the podcast to you, and we appreciate that. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro from Smile, BB Edit from Barebone Software, and Gazelle at gazelle.com for selling all of your old and used electronics all through BackBeat Media John that is it that gets us out of here we will be back on Thursday with our first of two extra premium shows this month you can sign up for premium at macgeekapp.com 25 bucks for six months you get two extra shows a month access to all the archives you get to support John and I and we appreciate that yes we do Until Thursday or Monday, depending on which show you'll listen to. Don't get caught.
1: Made up.